All right, welcome to episode 33 of the podcast. This is actually the first episode of a rebranding of the podcast. The podcast is now going to be called Unsupervised Learning. So it's a new show, but not really. Basically going to make it match uh, my website a, a bit more, which means more diversity of technical topics. Um, still definitely InfoSec based. Um, so it's still going to start with the InfoSec news. So it's still basically a security podcast, but a little bit more expansive to anything interesting uh, we're sharing. The other thing I'm going to do is have more individual episodes that focus on one issue, uh, like I did a couple of times uh, within like the last 10 or 15 episodes. Um, so the name unsupervised learning is actually uh, comes from artificial intelligence, and it's a type of AI system where you basically point it at uh, large data sets and uh, it figures out patterns by itself, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, and have to give credit to uh, my girl Susan, who actually came up with the idea. I said I needed a new name, and within like five minutes, she pointed me to an answer, which was uh, pattern recognition, which I thought was great. And then this one, unsupervised learning, is basically uh, a derivative of that. So um, in short, basically not much of a change, uh, but what does change hopefully will be good. All right, I want to start with the news. So uh, the biggest news is the Panama Papers leak, which um, is being called the largest leak ever in history. Uh, millions and millions of documents, I think tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm guessing more like tens of millions of documents from one law firm. And like, my first thought was like, how does, how does one law firm come into all this data? Evidently it was accrued over like 40 years but it just has like the most sensitive data in this place and it all got leaked um, by somebody. They say it was an external hacker um, who found the content, but it's basically a bunch of information about privately held um, offshore accounts where basically politicians are, are keeping their money elsewhere. Um, so it's a tax haven conversation, it's a government conversation, but uh, there's just been massive blowback already, and it's only been a couple of days. So expect this to be a big news story for quite some time. Um, next story, hackers targeting major U.S. law firms, which of course is related to that. It, I mean, if you think about opportunity for attackers, it's like you see a breach like that and you realize, wait a minute, all these law firms are doing this business with various people. And you have these various you know, relationships between this person and that person and this company and that company or this person in that company that could be extremely sensitive and worth tons of money. So why not just go after a law firm? It's not like they're going to be defending themselves very well. Um, so it looks like that is a big, uh, a big push right now. And uh, uh, my friend Jeremiah uh, basically tweeted out today. He's like, imagine the amount of InfoSec spam that law firm companies are, are uh, receiving today. Um, you imagine that InfoSec companies are like, oh, we need to go after these guys that spam the shit out of them until, you know, bas basically 
take advantage of the fact that they're probably scared shitless because of this uh, big breach with the Panama Papers. Uh, so next story, Ubuntu has some kernel vulnerability patches out. You should definitely update those. 50 million Turkish citizens have their information dumped online. Microsoft makes um, a cloud app security service now available. So their Adalom uh, acquisition from a while back is now available to, um, to secure cloud apps. Uh, pretty interesting. OS VDB is shutting down because nobody wants to pay them. Um, evidently, they, they had a model where they wanted people to pay for the vulnerability information and uh, people weren't going for it, so they shut down permanently today. Uh, WhatsApp just turned on end-to-end -end encryption for their entire system, which is kind of a response to the whole Apple FBI thing, which is really interesting because now, I mean, what's the government going to do about that? Um, it's like I wrote in an essay before, it's like it's a slippery slope once it starts happening. Like, what's the NSA going to do? Say you can't use WhatsApp. Um, are they going to go to WhatsApp and say, you can't do what you did? Or are they going to go to them and demand access? I think the trend is going to be that you're going to build the lack of access into your own systems and then just throw your hands up when the FBI comes or the authorities, whoever, and just say, yeah, there's nothing I could do. Sorry. Um, too bad. Um, critical new flash bug, except... Um, so you can basically expect ransomware to leverage us. Um, basically, whenever a new client-side vuln comes out that's uh, basically hot and pre-patch, or even if the patch has only been out for one or two weeks, ransomware tends to go off of that. So um, we could expect to see that again. Um, security salaries are skyrocketing due to talent shortage, and I've got the link there. Um, I looked at the numbers. It looked like maybe you know five percent increases across the board for various um, for various roles, and of course, uh, CISO, CSO salaries are going up far more than that. Um, some cool research: data exfiltration using smart light bulbs. <laughs> so basically, um, you you attack the system and you slowly raise and lower the amount of output in the light bulb in a way that can't really be detected by human eyes. Um, but you can oscillate it in such a way that, um, you know, you're transmitting data um, digitally by, um, by those oscillations. So uh, you can imagine lots of different encoding that you can use for that. Like, um, and, and they describe it in the paper. It's really interesting. But just another way to, to think about how do you get data out of the organization? Well, if you could see inside the window or you could see the light source at all, you could send data out um, without even going through their firewall. It's actually going through a window or whatever. So really fascinating. Um, significant issues with uh, Firefox extensions. Uh, you should look for a patch for that soon. Um, there's a $40 attack that steals police drones from two kilometers away. So basically it's web encryption um, and if you're within 100 meters, you basically disconnect the police controller and connect your own and take the drone. Um, not recommended uh, unless you have a way to get away, because uh, I imagine the penalty will be something terrorism related, uh, maybe Cuba.
Uh, IoT is expected to push the U.S. ahead of China in manufacturing by 2020. So this is fascinating. So basically the top three manufacturing countries are uh, right now um, China, number two is U.S., and number three is Germany. And we're expected to swap with China by 2020 because we're going to basically empower our manufacturing infrastructure with IoT, which means automation. Um, and effi automatic efficiency gains. And China evidently is not going to be able to catch up with that, even though they're stealing all our shit. So evidently they're not going to be able to um, keep up. And uh, that's going to have them getting lapped and us becoming number one um, with Germany right behind them. And they got some numbers in the article in the show notes. Uh, 1,400 vulnerabilities found in automated medical supply system. Um, so basically, this is like an automated cabinet system that dispenses medical supplies. I'm not sure if it's like medication and stuff or if it's just tools, but um, you basically have to need, you need to have access to get access to this cabinet. And if you don't have access, it doesn't open, so it's locked. Um, but if you go into it and you hack into it, you can actually lock it so that nobody can get anything out which could be a big issue for a hospital. So um, that was Billy Rios was one of the guys who uh, did the research on that. Uh, Trump hotels breached again. I'm not gonna say anything more about that. Cyber insurance rates dropped um, throughout the year, um, or I think last year, because the number and rates of um, breaches dropped and the severity of breaches dropped. Um, I, I think the lesson here is that this is a market and things will be dynamic and we can expect this to go up and down. Um, Katie Masuris leaves, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, leaves Hacker One and she's going independent to basically be a consultant. She was um, a chief policy officer at Hacker One and she's going to be independent now, basically evangelizing for bounties. I, I believe she's going to be basically helping companies and researchers interact um, and making companies more open to doing uh, bounties. Uh, data disruption heating up as an attack technique. So um, basically a lot more DOS and uh, DDoS happening, um, I, I think, in 2015. And uh, I think the lesson here is that things move in cycles, right? For a while, it was super lame to take things down. Um, it wasn't a common technique, and it was pretty much only, you know, low and slow attacks and integrity and confidentiality and whatever. And now things have more picked up in terms of making a statement um, by, by taking out a site or, or a company. Uh, NetSparker did a project. They scanned 396 open source web applications. Primary findings were 180 uh, cross-site scripting, 55 SQL injection, and 16 file inclusion volumes, um, plus some other stuff like CSERF. Um, pretty good write-up, uh, which is in the show notes. Chinese hacker who stole the F-35 fighter jet plans is being celebrated as a hero in China. So basically China is telling us they're not doing any of this. This person is very obviously somebody who stole these plans and they're basically treated like a hero when they get back. 
um, where I don't even know where they are, but they're being treated like a hero in the press. Uh, super annoying to me. Super annoying that this is blatantly happening and that we're just sort of standing by and letting it happen. Obviously, I'm not privy to what's going on in the administration and how they're interacting with the Chinese government, but I wish we had a much stronger stance on this. Um, ICANN has taken over the internet from the U.S. So basically the internet has long been a U.S. centric thing. And uh, it looks like we have or are about to basically hand that over to an international organization. In this case, ICANN. Uh, OS X could be rebranded at uh, WWDC to Mac OS. So basically they're doing a rebranding of everything to something OS. So iOS, Mac OS. Um, is it tvOS? I can't, can't remember what the TV one is. But they're doing a rebranding to basically synchronize all those. And uh, Samsung patents a contact lens with a built-in camera. Um, hopefully the time between patent and production will not be 5 or 20 years. All right, that's it for the news. Uh, next section is called... It's basically the same as before, but rebranded as Exploring Ideas. So uh, Red Team, Blue Team, Purple Team, Hunt Team. These uh, color teams or whatever, modified teams, it's getting a bit out of hand. Um, heard one presentation today. Uh, I won't say the vendor, but basically they said Red Team is attack, Blue Team is defense. They didn't mention Purple Team. They said Red, Blue, Hunt. Um and they basically said that red sometimes interacts with blue, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, in general, the purple team is the team who's responsible for making sure, this is my definition anyway, and I reached out to a bunch of other people to make sure they agreed. This is the consensus that if you have a red, blue, red team, blue team, purple team, the purple team is explicitly responsible for ensuring that the blue team is benefiting from the red team and the red team is benefiting from the blue team. Uh, so, and it could be continuous or it could be after a period of time, but that's the idea there. Um, the, the idea, if you don't have a purple team or, or maybe you just add it on, it depends how, how you want to mix it. But the idea of a hunt team is that the blue team would just be a regular defensive reactionary sort of low end defense team. This, this is the idea evidently. And then a hunt team would be your more advanced people who possibly have some attack skills, some offensive skills like red team skills. And they're the ones who are proactively, you know, looking for the, the low and slow attacks and that sort of thing. Um, so basically it's making a distinction on the defensive side between blue team and hunt team. Um, and I, I think it's pretty easy to make an argument that your blue team could have both an operational and a hunt or advanced component. Um, so it's just a question of how many of the, these things do we want to break out? It seems like a super sexy thing right now to have all these named separate teams. Um, and at some point, we'll probably want to reel that back in to a smaller you know, number of names. All right, um, next concept, Moscow rules. This is pretty cool. So the original protocol for operating in the presence of the adversaries. And uh, there's a cool article um, 
which I have in the show notes, uh, ctovision.com, a cool article, basically says how to apply Moscow rules to cyber operations. Um, so one is do not trust your gut. Not sure I'm <clears throat> going to read all of these, but do not trust your gut. Your gut is not used to the uh, not used to the man-made creations of cyberspace. Instrument, measure, monitor, and seek to confirm everything. Um, do not trust any single source of information. Design your cyber defense monitoring system to bring all sources together for big data analysis. And there's more to these. I'm only reading the first sentence of each bullet. Back up everything of importance to your mission and keep unalterable logs. Understand your actions are being observed. Every device in your system is potentially under opposition control. Even in the complex, heterogeneous world of modern enterprise IT, you can find boundaries and control points. Protect your most important data, knowing that its loss could destroy your business. Don't harass the op opposition. That's an interesting one. Keep your options open, a little vague. Know your tradecraft and make sure your entire team does as well. Many exemplars and best tradecraft practices are available. A favorite of mine is the community-produced consensus audit guidelines. Sounds interesting. I need to look that up. Training and education of your work workforce is important, but it will fail you. That's a good one. Be careful about outside consultants. <laughs> I will read the rest of this one. The cyber defense field, unfortunately, attracts charlatans who assert that they have special knowledge of how to defend. The only way to vet experienced cyber defenders is to have either observed their past performance firsthand or to get firsthand reports by those you trust. That's good advice. Pick the time and place for action. Move fast to protect your most important info. And finally, understand the human tendency to forget about the threat as soon as the current attack has been mitigated. Um, next sentence on that one, do not fall victim to the cyber threat amnesia. Very cool. So I think those are pretty cool. Um, basically some, just like the red team stuff, it's military stuff applied to cyber. So I think this is an interesting topic in and of itself, right? You have all these benefits of, it, we have the benefit of knowing um, basically a history of defensive concepts and that that's warfare, basically military, you know, you got the Sun Tzu stuff, you got the American military has done some great stuff here, um, uh, in terms of building an, an archive of knowledge. And the question is how much of that can translate into, uh, the digital world or cyber, which I still kind of hate that word, but getting used to it. So how much of that translates to cyber and, um, you know, how can we harvest that, that knowledge and not have to relearn all these things? So I've been particularly studying a lot of that, uh, especially having a military background and having seen a bunch of it while I was in, um, I, I think it is useful to try to harvest as much as we can from that. Um, Let's see here, uh, using Tor to log into your own Facebook, which is monitored to do illegal things. So 
I, I keep hearing about this stuff. A lot of it is terrorism related, but we also hear this from like cyber criminals. So you have like dark web, you know, dark net, uh, whatever resources that are being monitored because it's like illegal drugs or it's some kind of crazy porn that shouldn't exist. Um, what, whatever it is, like you have all these different resources that are being monitored by law enforcement, right? It's illegal. In some cases, it's purely immoral. In some cases, it's only illegal. But either way, it's being monitored by authorities. And it requires authentication, right? So in some cases, it's not even dark web. It's like internet. It's like Facebook and Twitter, whatever. You have to log in to get into your account. So you have these people bouncing all over the internet, you know, through encrypted channels. They're using Tor and like a bunch of proxies and everything. And they drop into their site. And they don't browse externally, like it could be just anyone. They actually log in as themselves and then post a bunch of crazy stuff. And it's like, yeah, I might not know exactly where you are because of you bouncing around, but you're still doing the illegal action as yourself. So you're not really hiding anymore. I'm not sure people are getting that. But um, anyway. Um friends destroyed america so this is just crazy so the tv show friends okay a lot of people probably remember it if you're super young you probably only see it on reruns or whatever but um it's considered like this really happy like oh whatever happy america a bunch of friends sitting around talking uh someone did this uh amazing post on medium basically saying that it was the anti-intellectual attack against America that kind of destroyed America. So you have this guy, Ross. I, I never actually watched too much of the show, so I did know Ross vaguely, but I didn't know he was like the intellectual guy. But evidently, he, he comes onto the show and he starts off and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm some kind of scientist. And, you know, he, here's what I like to talk about. And he starts talking about something geeky, something cool and intellectual. And evidently, the rest of the staff just look at him and laugh. And then when he walks away, they're all like, oh, my God, as soon as he starts talking, I just want to kill myself. And, the, and they cue the laugh track and everyone laughs. And this goes on for like 10 seasons where anytime he mentions anything smart, he gets made fun of by his peers and they play the laugh track. Um, really fascinating observation. I don't know if. They're making too much of it, probably, but it's still very, very interesting commentary. Um, next one, chatbots, conversation, and AI as an interface. Um, so this is really cool. I, I think I talked about this maybe in the previous or, or one before that episode, but, but the idea here is that mobile apps might be deprecated soon. Uh, just because it's more natural to want to text or message and more and more sort of technology startups and Facebook and a, a bunch of other companies are coming out with interfaces where you just, you're talking to bots and you're making requests to bots. You're either interacting with them as friends or, or, you know, companions or whatever, or you're making a request to them like, you know, get me a pizza or do this or do that or change the temperature or whatever it is, right? And 
the idea is if you're saying if you're doing that, either texting it because you can't talk or you don't want to, or why don't you just speak and have that happen? Either way, you're talking to the spot, which is an AI of some sort, even if it's pseudo AI or whatever that means. But either way, it's some sort of AI agent and it's going to perform actions on your behalf. Well, why would you open a mobile app once this works at all? Why are you opening up a mobile app? It's like a, it, I don't know, it's like, um, I love this analogy. It doesn't quite apply here, but you're trying to make a hotel bed from the outside of the room through the keyhole using a coat hanger, right? That's what you're doing when you're just poking around on a mobile app. Now, some mobile apps have very explicit buttons and very explicit functions, and you click them and a very explicit, obvious thing happens. Well, maybe that's true, but it's nothing compared to telling your phone or not telling your phone anything, just saying into the open air, hey, I want a pizza, right? That is vastly superior to any sort of mobile interface. It doesn't matter what it is. You're not going to get better than, hey, I wish I had a pizza, right? So one of the things I like to think about here, and I, I do this when I talk about IoT, is stop thinking about what technology exists and what is possible and everything if you're designing the future. If you're designing where we should be going, imagine, you know, 200 years beyond Star Trek or whatever very distant future with extremely advanced technology. How does a human interact with the world? That is what we should be thinking about. We should be thinking about, you know, don't, don't think about what exists now. Don't think about any limitations. Just think about what you would do when you come home from work. Um, and you, want, you don't want to go too far in the future because you don't want to be like flying or, or some shit. But you want, to, you want to be thinking along the lines of you come out of the work building. Let's say you work in an office, which you probably won't. But let's say you work in an office. You come out of a building. The car's already waiting for you. If the car's not already waiting for you, you just say into your, you just say openly or audibly, you, you, you raise up your thing, Alfred or whatever, and you say, hey, I need a car. Um, or, or you don't even say that. You say, I want to go home. And Alfred knows exactly what that means. And a car pulls up like 37 seconds later, it takes you home. While you're going home, you're asking, you're just saying into the world, into the back of the car or whatever, you're saying, hey, I want to, uh, you know, what are the late, latest sports? You know, where's Julie? Um, how are the kids doing in school today? Uh, show me the latest stats on the efficiency of the house. How's the business doing? Like, you're just asking these questions. And the, the data that you, you want is being interpreted Based on your tone, based on how much time you have, the rest of the trip that you have, like you've got 37 minutes later uh, before you get home. So it knows you have a little bit of time. So it's going to give you this level of summary versus if you're about to pull into the driveway, you're going to get a much shorter summary. So it, it's contextually figuring out how much detail you want for all these requests that you're making. But you're not messing with the phone. You're not touching anything. You're just, you're just asking questions. That is going to an interface somewhere, an AI interface that has access to all your data that you want. And it's interpreting what you want 
and giving you the best possible curated result, right? That is how humans want to operate, right? And given the fact that that's how humans want to operate, that's how we should be orienting our technology. All, all of our technology should be thinking along those lines. Um, and I think there's probably a million companies that are thinking about things in this way. And there are some limitations with, okay, what can we do right now? But that's fine. But we should definitely have as a obvious, tangible, real destination, a, a clear vision of what humans actually want to do with their technology, right? And you basically model a use case of a world where a human interacts with a hundred different use cases, okay? Groceries, you know, going out for fun, ordering food at home, getting to and from work, checking email while at home. You model what a human would do in a perfect technological world. And those are the use cases you build for your new futuristic product. You do not start with what you have. You do not start with what used to be. You build it off of that. All right. That is all for exploring ideas. Next one, tools, talks, papers, and projects. So this one is like cool projects that are out there, um, talks that I've seen, books that I've read. Um, I should probably include books there. Um, anyway, for, first one, insurance implications of a cyber attack on the US power grid. So uh, I've got the link here in the show notes. It was pretty interesting. It basically talks about a cascading failure um, or a widespread failure that doesn't cascade, but basically a, a widespread power outage in the United States, um, in multiple states, and how it would affect infrastructure and how insurance companies should be thinking about whether they should or how they would uh, cover and ensure this sort of event. Definitely cool. It's along the lines of this, this uh, military-oriented, um, large-scale infrastructure attacks kind of stuff I've been researching recently. Um, really cool tool called NetData. It is a visually very appealing um, performance monitoring suite for Linux. Um, I put it on my main web server for uh, my site, and uh, it, it's pretty badass. It, just great, great visuals, updates in real time. It, it's like the best possible thing I could see for this. Uh, as far as the overhead, I mean, there's it's not something I worry about that much. I have eight cores and like eight gigs of RAM like um, for a web server. So it's not something that I'm noticing being an issue. But uh, if you're in a super performance sort of situation, it might be a little bit heavy. Not sure, but I, I recommend you check it out. Reverse proxy attack tools. Um, part of the attacker knowledge base by Mubix or Rob Fuller. Pretty cool um, list of tools there. Um, definitely check out the Attacker Knowledge Base project, um, which, like I said, is by um, Rob Fuller, um, also known as Mubix. Next framework, Empire PowerShell. So it's like Metasploit, but, um, but PowerShell-based, and it's called Empire. Pretty cool. Um, oh, this one's super cool. It's called 
I, I don't know if it's machine or machine, but it's a, um, it's a threat intelligence distribution. It basically pulls in all these different uh, threat intelligence feeds, and it's a distro dedicated just to that. I haven't messed with it yet, but I'm about to probably tonight after this. Um, another tool called Passive Total. This is a commercial tool found out after when I got an email. Basically, I tweeted out about the machine thing and uh, got an email from someone basically saying, oh, you should check out Passive Total. Turns out it's a Risk IQ product, which is commercial. Um, still looks pretty cool. I, I know some people over there. Um, it's actually on the floor right below my dentist, but... Uh, in San Francisco, but it's a um, cool looking tool. Um, I'm gonna get some more exposure to it, but um, definitely worth checking out. Um, OPSEE, O-P-S-E-E. -E. This is a uh, basically a configuration management tool or auditing tool. You point at your AWS infrastructure and it, it basically runs benchmarks for known good or known secure or known quality configurations against your configuration. Uh, really cool. Another tool called uh, Scraping Hub, or it's a site called Scraping Hub. It's all about web scraping to create open data. And that's the name of this particular post, which is in the notes. Um, Evident.io is another AWS auditing tool. Pretty cool. Um, an ultimate XSS polyglot. polyglot. Um, so basically, this is a an XSS payload, a polyglot, is basically something that works in multiple contexts in terms of attack strings. And uh, this one is on uh, GitHub. And I reached out to the, uh, the guy, um, Ahmed, from uh, Egypt today and basically said, hey, you know, could I add this to um, Cyclos project? Because we get a whole section in there for um, polyglots, including XSS ones. Um, Next one, security startups based around uh, using AI for detection capabilities. So this is pretty cool. I got a link in the uh, show notes. So basically it's like three of them are like Israeli, which not surprising. Um, they're doing some amazing stuff in InfoSec, but um, they're all AI based, doing decisions for you, analytical. Um, a lot of it's based on looking at big data, like event data and like, you know, security events and using AI to find detection or to find anomalies and that sort of thing. But uh, definitely check out the link if you want to look at those companies. Uh, GoFish.com is a um, open source phishing framework. And Dork, D-O-O-R-K, is open source passive vulnerability tool. It's basically uh, Google Dorks. Um, I installed it just now and tried to run it and it gave me a bunch of 503s. I don't know if I need um, an API key, I didn't see that in the readme, but um, could be user error, but um, might wanna check that out. Next session, uh, section recommended. So, Stratechery, Stratechery. I feel like there's a better way to pronounce that. But anyway, it's a website, really cool technical sort of analysis and uh, insights, definitely recommend that. Mobile Eat the World. This is, a, this is a presentation, which was just updated for 2016, um, about the impact of mobile, which is just fascinating. It's by uh, Benedict Evans, and you should definitely check this thing out. 
Uh, messaging as the killer app. This is something I talked about in the analysis or discussion section. Uh, same sort of idea. It's actually a strategy link and um, it's in the show notes there. Agility requires safety. This is a cool article you should check out. Um, link is in the show notes. Advice on speaking at TED. This is a very, um, very entertaining post. Talks about different uh, presentation styles. Um, basically where you, one is wing it, two is have bullets and just talk around the bullets and three is fully memorize. Those are the three styles and it says, you know, this is what the person did to get ready for a TED talk. Uh, really fascinating, a bunch of cool uh, illustrations to go along with it. Definitely check that out. Um, and then the last one, California Data Breach Report. Um, think of it kind of like a DBIR, but not quite as cool. Um, but it is cool that a state is basically putting out that kind of information. Um, announcements. I'll just say again that the podcast has been renamed to Unsupervised Learning and that it's mostly the same show, but hopefully a little bit different, a little bit better. And uh, that's it. Thank you for listening. See you next time. And if you like the show, please uh, recommend to your friends. Thanks.